Today's reading will be Jefferson Dunn, Commissioner of Alabama Department of Corrections versus Vernon Madison. Per curiam opinion decided November 6, 2017. More than 30 years ago, Vernon Madison crept up behind police officer Julius Schulte and shot him twice in the head at close range. An Alabama jury found Madison guilty of capital murder. The trial court sentenced him to death. See ex parte Madison. In 2016, as Madison's execution neared, he petitioned the trial court for suspension of his death sentence. He argued that, due to several recent strokes, he has become incompetent to be executed. The court held a hearing to receive testimony from two psychologists who had examined Madison and prepared reports concerning his competence. The court's appointed psychologist, Dr. Carl Kirkland, reported that although Madison may have suffered significant decline post-stroke, he understands the exact posture of his case at this point and appears to have a rational understanding of the results or effects of his death sentence. See Madison versus Commissioner of Alabama Department of Corrections. Asked at a hearing whether Madison understands that Alabama is seeking retribution against him for his criminal act, Dr. Kirkland answered, certainly. Dr. John Goff, a psychologist hired by Madison's counsel, reported that Madison's strokes have rendered him unable to remember numerous events that have occurred over the past 30 years or more. Nevertheless, Dr. Goff found that Madison is able to understand the nature of the pending proceeding and that he has an understanding of what he was tried for, that he knows he's in prison because of murder, and that he understands that Alabama is seeking retribution for a crime and that he understands the sentence, specifically the meaning of a death sentence. In Dr. Goff's opinion, however, Madison does not understand the act that he is being punished for, because he cannot recall the sequence of events from the offense to his arrest to the trial or any of those details, and believes that he, quote-unquote, never went around killing folks. The trial court denied Madison's petition, held that under this court's decision in Ford v. Wainwright, and Panetti versus Quarterman, Madison was entire, entitled to relief if he could show that he suffers from a mental illness which deprives him of the mental capacity to rationally understand that he is being executed as punishment for a crime. The court concluded that Madison had failed to make that showing. Specifically, it found that Madison understands that he is going to be executed because of the murder he committed, that the state is seeking retribution, and that he will die when he is executed. Madison then filed a petition for a writ of habeas corpus in federal district court. As a state prisoner, Madison is entitled to federal habeas relief under the Anti-Terrorism and Effective Death Penalty Act of 1996, AEDPA, only if the state's trial court's adjudication of his incompetence claim was contrary to or involved in unreasonable application of clearly established federal law, as determined by this court, or else was based on an unreasonable determination of facts in light of the evidence presented in state court. 28 U.S.C. 2254 D. A habeas petitioner meets this demanding standard only when he shows that the state court's decision was so lacking in justification that there was an error well understood and comprehended in existing law beyond any possibility for fair-minded disagreement. Harrington v. Richter. The district court denied Madison's petition after concluding that the state court correctly applied Ford and Panetti and did not make 
an unreasonable determination of the facts in light of the evidence. The 11th Circuit granted a certificate of appealability and on appeal reversed over Judge Jordan's dissent. In the majority's view, given the undisputed fact that Madison has no memory of his capital offense, it inescapably follows that he does not rationally understand the connection between his crime and his execution. On that basis, the 11th Circuit held that the trial court's conclusion that Madison is competent to be executed was plainly unreasonable and cannot be reconciled with any reasonable application of Panetti. We disagree. In Panetti, this court addressed the question whether the Eighth Amendment forbids the execution of a prisoner who lacks the mental capacity to understand that he is being executed as punishment for a crime. We noted that the retributive purposes of capital punishment are not well served where the prisoner's mental state is so distorted by a mental illness that his awareness of the crime and punishment has little or no relation to the understanding of those concepts shared by the community as a whole. Similarly, in Ford, we question the retributive value of executing a person who has no comprehension of why he's been singled out. Neither Panetti nor Ford clearly established that a prisoner is incompetent to be executed because of a failure to remember his commission of the crime, as distinct from a failure to rationally comprehend the concepts of crime and punishment as applied in his case. The state court did not unreasonably apply Panetti and Ford when it determined that Madison is competent to be executed because, notwithstanding his memory loss, he recognizes that he will be put to death as punishment for the murder he was found to have committed. Nor was the state court's decision founded in an unreasonable assessment of the evidence before it. Testimony from each of the psychologists who examined Madison supported the court's finding that Madison understands both that he was tried and imprisoned for murder and that Alabama will put him to death as punishment for that crime. In short, the state court's determination of law and fact were not so lacking in justification as to give rise to error beyond any possibility for fair-minded disagreement. Under that deferential standard, Madison's claim to federal habeas relief must fail. We express no view on the merits of the underlying question outside AEDPA context. The petition for writ of certiori and respondent's motion to proceed in form of pauperis are granted, and the judgment of the Court of Appeals is reversed. It is so ordered. Justice Ginsburg, with whom Justice Breyer and Sotomayor join, concurred, saying, The issue whether a state may administer the death penalty to a person whose disability leaves him without memory of his commission of a capital offense is a substantial question not yet addressed by the court. Appropriately presented, the issue would warrant full airing, but in this case, the restraints imposed by the Anti-Terrorism and Effective Death Penalty Act of 1996, I agree, preclude consideration of the question. With that understanding, I join the court's per curiam disposition of this case. Justice Breyer also filed a concurring opinion. I join the court's per curiam disposition of this case for the reasons set forth in Justice Ginsburg's concurrence which I also join. I write separately to underline the fact that this case illustrates one of the basic problems with the administration of the death penalty itself. 
That problem concerns the unconscionability of long periods of time that prisoners often spend on death row awaiting execution. As I've previously noted, this court once said that delays in execution can produce uncertainty amounting to one of the most horrible feelings to which a prisoner can be subjected. Justice Stevens later observed that the delay in Medley was a delay four weeks in Lackey versus Texas. And he wrote that the Medley description should apply with even greater force in the case of delays that last for many years. In light of those statements, consider the present case. The respondent, Vernon Madison, was convicted of a murder that took place in April of 1985. He was sentenced to death and transferred to Alabama's William C. Holman Correctional Facility in September 1985. Mr. Madison is now 67 years old. He has lived nearly half his life on death row. During that time, he has suffered severe strokes, with, which caused vis vascular dementia and numerous other significant physical and mental problems. He is legally blind. His speech is slurred. He cannot walk independently, and he is incontinent. His disability leaves him without a memory of his commission of a capital offense. Moreover, Mr. Madison is among a growing number of aging prisoners who remain on death row in this country for ever longer periods of time. In 1987, the average period of imprisonment between death sentence and execution was just over seven years. See Department of Justice Bureau of Justice Statistics. The average delay was about 11 years in 1997. In 2007, the average delay rose to a little less than 13 years. In 2017, the 21 individuals who have been executed were on death row on average for more than 19 years. See Death Penalty Information Center Execution List 2017. Alabama has executed three individuals this year, including Thomas Arthur, who spent 34 years on death row before his execution, May 26, 2017, at the age of 75. Robert Melson who spent 21 years on death row before his execution on June 8, 2017, and Tory McNabb, who spent nearly two decades on death row before his execution on October 19, 2017. Given this trend, we may face ever more instances of state efforts to execute prisoners suffering the diseases and infirmities of old age. And we may well have to consider the ways in which lengthy periods of imprisonment between death sentence and execution can deepen the cruelty of the death penalty, while at the same time undermining its peniological rationale. Rather than develop a constitutional jurisprudence that focuses upon the special circumstances of the aged, however, I believe it would be wiser to reconsider the root cause of the problem the constitutionality of the death penalty itself.